Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited for you to hear episode number 91 of our podcast. You're going to hear from Anthony Torns, incredible testimony, incredible story, born and raised in Flint, Michigan, ran track at Grambling State University in Louisiana, ended up through Hurricane Katrina in the Marble Falls, Texas, now lives in the Austin area with his wife, Anitra. They have four kids. He's a private track coach, also a, a high school teacher, but just a phenomenal man of God, high character, loves the Lord, using coaching and teaching as a ministry. I can't wait for you to hear his story. I know you'll be encouraged, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Torrance. Thank you for having me. You bet, you bet. So I always like to start off these with just some background information. So if you don't mind just giving the listeners a little bit of um, your background. I mean, I know when you and I talked, you, you talked about growing up in Flint, Michigan. So talk about growing up in a place like Flint, Michigan that's still today in the news a lot. So talk about growing up there. Talk about a little bit about your family growing up and then your family today. Well, uh, like I said, again, it, it, it Flint today is nothing like it was when I grew up there. Um, again, it was a General Motors town. Um, most people, you know, work for in the car in the auto industry and in the factories and everything. Um, and like I said, again, during the time that I grew up, I mean, it was really, uh, you know, bustling, meaning that the factories were all open. I mean, they were building cars, so on and so forth. So, uh, it, it wasn't, um, the picture of Flint that it is now. Now, not to say that it still wasn't, you know, rough to grow up there. I mean, I always tell people it was a, it's a, it's a blue collar town. So it mm. bred a certain type of, it bred a certain type of individual. Um, you know, I didn't have it the worst growing up. Um, and I don't even say I had it bad because our, my reality was my reality and it was nothing wrong. I didn't look at it as, as being anything wrong. Um, you know, I, I knew that I wanted better and, you know, we had a growing up there. I mean, we had a lot of bad examples (laughs) from family members to, you know, people growing up on the block and everything. So you always wanted to do better and you didn't want to end up on, you know, the wrong end of the law. Um, so I pretty much grew up with my mom and my grandparents doing a lot of my rearing. Um, I had some, uh, extremely good male role models that stepped into my life, um, when I was young. Um, and one being my cousin who he, he's the one that started me running track. He actually ran for Grambling State University. Um, so, you know, growing up, like I said, again, man, I can't, you know, really complain about anything. It was just, Growing up in Flint, it was being a Flintstone. It was being one of those kids. And, you know, it really bred like a, a go get it attitude in you. Um, you couldn't show weakness <laughs> or, or, they, yeah. or people would eat you alive. I mean, because everything was so competitive, you know, um, you know, out of my city, you, you had Andre Rice and you had Glenn Rice that come out of, out, out, out of Flint, Michigan. I mean, you just had so many great athletes that, that came out of there. So a lot of times growing up, we always wanted to be the next. Now, whatever sport that was going to be, you know, we, 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 we were going to do that. So, uh, like I said, again, I, I give Flynn a lot of credit um, for developing a lot of the perseverance and mm. the, wor- the work ethic um, that I have today. And, I mean, I had some great uh, teachers as well, like from elementary school all the way through high school. You know, I had great teachers and, and people that were like, you know, they were hard on us. But at the same time, you know, they care. And um, I was just tremendously blessed with being being able to be directed in the right way, you know. 
That's awesome. So did you grow up, um, you mentioned your mom and grandparents uh, doing most of your raising you and then some male role models was a family of faith. And then at what point um, did you decide, you know what, I need a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, growing up, like you said, again, I always tell people this is like growing up, it was like just going to church. Hmm. It, it really wasn't, you know, um, you know, the, the, the way I, I, I try to live it now uh, is, is modeling scripture, not just talking about it. You mm. understand what I'm saying? So it was, oh, it yeah. was a lot. It, it was, it was going to church. There was prayer, but I have to like share with you, like, you know, the, the, my connection to Christ goes back to before I was born because my mom had me when she was 16 years old. Um, and when she was young, when she was about 10, she had a, a kidney procedure that once she got pregnant, they, you know, it was like a 50, 50 chance of her living or dying. So they wanted her to abort me. And there was a pastor and his wife that used to keep her when she was young. She had went and talked to the wife and the wife gave her the 23rd Psalms. And she said, you pray the 23rd Psalms over that baby every night. And, you know, if you read my Twitter feed I, 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 on there, I said the 23rd Psalms gave me life. And, mm. you know, so, you know, she, she prayed that over me every night. I remember I was about seven or eight years old and I was at vacation Bible school and they were giving out like some kind of prize to, you know, every day they would tell us you can come back and quote a certain scripture. They would give you a prize. And they said, anybody that comes back tomorrow and can quote the 23rd Psalms, you know, all the way through you, you get, I forget what it was they were given, but it was some kind of prize or whatever. And I raised my hand and I was like, I don't need to tomorrow. I can quote it now. And I had never read it before. And I, and I said it verbatim. Um, so that's one of the, that was like, you know, I tell people, I, I remember it. And I think that was my like first like connection and, and my first, like, like God, like in, in Christ, like making themselves real, like, you know, I'm here and I've always been with you and I'm always going to be with you. So that was like really like uh, impactful to me and, and just going, remembering, like even when I was in high school, some of my best races I ran, my mom would sit at the top of the stadium. She would sit away from everybody else and she would pray the 23rd Psalms while I ran. When I set my PR in college in the 400 meters, I caught her before the race. It was a pretty big race. We were in Houston and it was some pretty fast guys. Some of these dudes went on to run in the Olympics and stuff that were in my heat. And, um, so I call her and tell her, look, mom, I'm running against these guys. I'm like, I'm going to be running about two o'clock. Um, so she said she would be praying at two. And I go out there and set a PR and I get off, you know, uh, the track and I go pay phone and call her again. And some people don't know what a pay phone is. That shows how right. old I am. We didn't have, we didn't have cell phones when I was at Grambling running. So it was 94 through 98. And, uh, and I call her and, um, I tell her what I ran and she's like, you think she said, uh, are you surprised? And I was like, what you were praying, huh? And she's like, yep, I was praying your songs. And, and, you know, so that, that kind of, that's like, that's my, 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 I don't say my conversion. I gave my life. I truly gave my life knowing what I was doing and knowing that I needed him to lead and guide me when I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, but from birth till 25, it was probably like me just kind of, knowing that he was there, knowing I could depend on him, praying when, when things were rough and uh, just, you know, moving through life on his grace. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm sitting there writing that down about 23rd something. I don't think I'll ever read that the same again. Yeah. I've, I've preached that. Like at, I used to do a Bible study at a nursing home and I, I think I probably still have it on recording, 
But I preached that deal. I preached the 23rd Psalms one time and went through the whole Psalms and gave description of, you know, what that meant to me and, 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 and the effect it had on my life. And I went back and listened to it and I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, I said yeah. that, <laughs> you know, so again, I mean, it is, it, it, it means a whole lot to me, man. And, and it's one of those things that, like I said, again, no matter the state of our country, the, the, the state of this world, no matter what I'm going through, it's like one thing that I'll never deny, deny and denounce. And that's the, 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 the realness of, of Jesus Christ and, and God, the father and the Holy spirit in my life, because it's been uh, made evidence through experience. It's not something that I just believe because people taught it to me. It's been because of experience. And I'll probably get more into that as you go on in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's a good point because a lot of times we see and we hear people that try to argue people to, to faith. And, you know, I'm a big believer in just tell your story. Nobody can argue with your story. Nobody can argue with my story. They can argue facts and they can debate scripture all day long, but they can't argue your story or mine. No, they can't. They can't argue that. They can't argue my mom praying that psalm over me for nine months and a seven-year-old go in vacation Bible school and recite something that he ain't never read before. I mean, it's like, dude, you can't like, Bing. you know, <laughs> you, you can't argue that. You can't argue that away from me. So, you know, but yeah, man. That's good stuff. Hey, I know we'll get more into that as we go, but I want to talk a little bit about your track. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was, you know, reading, kind of preparing for this, I came across an article. um, You were quoted as basically saying that track saved your life. Mm -hmm. Explain, explain what you mean by that. Well, like I said, man, growing up in Flint, I mean, like I said, I I didn't always look at things as being like the worst. Like if, if we, if I didn't have something like my grandparents, again, they done a lot of my rearing, my, my, my grandfather, he passed away when I, and they were my great grandparents, actually. He passed away when I was like in the fifth grade and my grandmother had a stroke when I was probably about in the seventh or eighth grade. So she was, you know, not able to, to, to do the things that she used to do. She died when I was in 11th grade. And after my grandfather died, I mean, I had a whole like bout of, like, just put it like this. When I was in the ninth grade, I had to sign a contract to stay in school because I got kicked out of school for many times, mm. whether whether it was for disrespect, whether it was for fighting or something like that, man. So I had to sign a contract to stay in school. And, um, you know, and I and I remember my, my my high school track coach, dude, that following year in the 10th grade, um, I had in the ninth grade, I had went out for track and as a buddy of mine, Joel. And he had talked me into going out for track because I had played summer league baseball with him and I had set the record for stolen bases. So he said, man, you're fast. Come out for track. So I went out for track and literally there were only probably about two guys that could run with me on the team. And um, but I didn't follow through with it because of grades and being in trouble. But my coach, Coach Thomas, Charlie Thomas, he uh, he um came I remember the beginning of my ninth grade year I mean my 10th grade year because again I couldn't play football 10th grade year because my grades were so horrible in the ninth at the end of my ninth grade year See, it's not like Texas or some states like now where you know whatever you've done the last year everything starts over they looked at our grades the year before and if you weren't cutting the mustard then you weren't playing that that next year starting right so I couldn't play football in the fall of my 10th grade year so Coach Thomas, I mean, come and get me out of biology class. And he told me, he said, I want you to run and I need you to get your grades up. So that's what I did. And then that's how, you know, track and field started out for me, man. And, 
And literally, if I didn't have track, I, I don't know like where I would be. You know, um, my cousin, he gave me an ultimatum. I needed shoes and he had, he like worked for a shoe store, a running store. Right. So I wanted, you know, some, um, a particular pair of shoes to run in the Harachis that everybody had started buying about two years ago. They came out like my 10th grade year. So I wanted these running Harachis. Right. And I remember they were white, purple, and black. And I told him I wanted them. And he said, if you get on the honor roll, I'll get them for you. Okay. So that year, that semester, I got on the honor roll. He bought me those shoes. And I remember I wore them in my first indoor meet at Saginaw Valley State. And I got second in the 300 meter dash. And then that's when everything just took off. And, um, and like I said, again, one thing led to another. I'd done very well in high school, received a scholarship to Grambling State University. Um, and, 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 and that's where, like I said, again, without track and field, I don't make it to Grambling. Um, and if I don't make it to Grambling, then I'm not where I'm at today. So did you have other offers? I mean, how do you go from Michigan to Grambling State? Well, um, again, my cousin ran at Grambling. I had offers from, you know, uh, every school in, 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 in Michigan, you know, the, the Division II, Saginaw Valley State, Grand Valley State, University of Michigan, Michigan State, which are Big Ten schools, uh, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, um, I actually even had an opportunity because my cousin had a connection out of Arizona state to even go out there. Um, but it would, it would have been almost like at a, as a walk on status. And my mm-hmm. mom just, she was, I mean, I was like, I can, I will go and I'm going to go and earn my spot, you know, but she just wasn't feeling it. And the thing that sold her on Grambling um, was the fact that uh, she talked to the coach on the phone and he told her, he said, I can't guarantee that he's going to be a great runner, okay? Or he's going to, you know, come here and he's going to go to the Olympics. I can't guarantee any of that. He said, but what I can guarantee you, Mom, and my coach is from Trinidad, so he has this heavy, like, Caribbean accent, right? And uh, he, he says, what I can tell you, Mom, is that I guarantee he'll graduate. Mm. She like, and she was like, you're going to Grambling. So um, when, when he told her that, um, it was like she said I was going to Grambling, and then I kind of started to look at it myself. And you know, I felt as a person, I felt kind of obligated to even give Grambling that opportunity because it's one of those schools that was created. They were founded to give Black people an opportunity to to have an education at a time right. when you couldn't. You know, and you know when you had so many of like my friends and stuff, they were they going to you know Michigan or Michigan State offer you you know Big Ten schools facilities, and that's what the coaches told me once I said I was going to go to Grambling. They were like, they don't have the facilities that we have, and it was crazy because the first year I was at Grambling, we ran against Michigan, we ran against Michigan State, we ran against some dudes that I had ran against at the state track meet that I had ran against in the city in high school, and I mean we crushed them. <laughs> we crushed them, and it was like you know. But yeah, so that's how I ended up at Grambling. You know, it was one, the connection uh, through my cousin. And then, you know, my coach, I mean, he really like, you know, he, he loves his athletes and he'll do anything for his athletes. And I mean, he just, and my mom, I mean, she can kind of read people, dude. She know if you pulling her leg or not, you know, and, um, and she, and when he told her that she was like, that's where you're going to go to school. So. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> To tell tell him mom that he'll graduate. So that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So after a successful running career, um, you graduate or finish your Grambling, you stay 
in Louisiana and kind of pursue a career in law enforcement and working with you. So talk about staying in Louisiana and New Orleans. And then my favorite part of your story we talked about is, you know, you go from New Orleans to Marble Falls, Texas. So kind of walk us through that. Okay. So when I graduated, well, before I graduated, um, I had took a class called criminalistic criminalistics. Uh, well, criminology, it wasn't criminalistics, but it was criminology. So basically what that does is it covers like pretty much almost every field in, in criminal justice, right? So there was a section on forensic science and it really intrigued me. The One of my professors had a good friend that was a coroner of Bossier Parish, Louisiana. So I got an intern doing autopsies and death investigation. Well, I didn't do any investigations that summer. I would do ride-alongs with the investigators, but I actually did get hands-on experience doing autopsy. And I fell in love with it. So um, they hired me before I even left that Somerset. When you graduate, look, you have a job, you know, next next May when you graduate. So I stayed there and I, you know, I did autopsies and death investigation for about a year. Went back and got my master's degree, worked in juvenile corrections um, because I always felt a calling. Like, you know, I felt like if, um, you know, we're going to complain about law enforcement or if we're going to complain about the system, then we need to make sure that we do something about it. So I looked at it as I'm not going to complain about the, um, the system unless I do something. So I said, I'm just going to put a good officer out there. I'm going to put a good, you know, um, probation officer out there or police officer out there. So I started to work in, in juvenile corrections. Um, we moved to new Orleans with the idea of going to law school. My daughter comes, and that's about the time where I started to go to uh, this church in New Orleans. Uh, my boss at the time, my first job in New Orleans, again, I was working juvenile restitution and for Orleans Parish Court. So I started to go to this, uh, a church um, in New Orleans and I would go on Monday nights. They had a men's, men's Bible study. And that's where I actually accepted Christ and, and gave my life to him. And we were at that church for about three years. So we went from Bossier City. Again, we were there for three years. New Orleans is south, about five hours south. of. So we moved from Bossier City to New Orleans in 2001. And then from 2001 to 2005, we were in New Orleans. So while I was in New Orleans, I worked juvenile restitution and I worked juvenile probation. Um, the hurricane came in 05. Um, and our church kind of relocated here to Texas. Um, and so we followed the church to Texas and, and they ended up in Marble Falls. And that's how I ended up in Marble Falls. My first job, uh, in Texas was at Travis County Juvenile, uh, drug court. So I worked there for about a year. I put in some applications, uh, for DPS to be a state trooper, which I made it into the Academy and everything. But after talking to them about the commitment and everything, I really, I quickly figured out that that's not going to be in the best interest of my family. Um, so, uh, I had, you know, I asked my wife, you know, which, what do you think should be my next step? You know, so her and my pastor at the time, I had started doing like summer track with the kids, um, from the church. And they were like, you work so well with kids. Why don't you go put an application to be a teacher? So I went and signed up to get an alternative teaching certificate through I teach Texas went and put an application in over in Marble Falls. They hired me as a, uh, a alternative school teacher, DAP. Mm. And so I started working in DAP. I wasn't thinking about coaching track or anything like that. 
And um, I would go and work out at the track. So one of the football coaches, the defensive coordinator at the time, he asked me to work with his son to to help him get a little bit faster. So what I did was, and I kind of skipped a whole section in Bossier City, but um, what I did was some of the, the training that a coach that I had after college did with me. I just started doing it with this kid, right? And um, kid started to improve. So he, um, so one thing led to another, and then I volunteered to coach track, and then that's how track and field kind of took off. Um, but I say I skipped the part while I was in Bossier City. Like after graduating from Grambling, I was probably out of track for about two years. So about ninety nine, two thousand, I met a coach by the name of Juan Plaza. Um, he runs a track club called River City Track Club, and he runs it to this day. Um, he saw me running on a track one day and he said, man, you, what high school do you go to? And I was like, I don't, I said, I graduated from Grambling like two years ago. He said, have you ever thought about trying to run professionally? I was like, yeah, but I don't know how I would do that. I didn't run fast enough, like to get any kind of like shoe deal or something like that. And, uh, he said, well, why don't you let me train you? So I, I agreed to it and I started working out with him and his group. He got me connected with an Olympic weightlifting coach, uh, and, we were on track to see if I could qualify to, to, qual- to hit a qualifying time for the Olympic trials um, in 2000. So I ran my first meet and I set a PR, ran faster than I had ever run in a quarter. And the next Monday I come to practice and I pulled my hamstring. Mm. And then I, at that point I was like, okay, you know, so I just continued to help him with his, his summer track program after that. And, um, but, but, you know, he was, I would say he's the, probably the first person to kind of help me see that I had some ability to coach in me, you know, but I know I kind of got a little off track, but you know, no, you're good. You're good. And so, you know, <laughs> and then, you, know you, you get into the Marble Falls school system and then you ultimately end up being girls, girls track coach. And now um, you're in, in doing some private coaching. So why, mm-hmm. you know, talk about going from, Marble Falls now into your current role yeah. as a private coach. So, so while in Marble Falls, again, I started out as an assistant for both boys and girls. And I was blessed, you know, coach, his name's Kyle Futrell, who's the head coach when I came in. Um, again, he kind of saw my passion and he kind of just backed off and let me like coach. And I would write all of the running workouts for the teams, both boys and the girls for probably a about two or three years. And then we had a football coach come in and he only wanted me working with the girls. He, you know, he wanted one of the football coaches working with the girls. So, I mean, the guys, so when that transition happened, you know, I really, really focused in on like being the best coach I can be. You know, I studied a lot and I went and bugged, you know, these different college coaches and, you know, any professional level coaches that I could, you know, get in contact with. And then the girls, you know, well, the boys and the girls cross country programs, I mean, they became very successful. And then our girls track program, I mean, we had a run for like two years where we won district area and we placed in the top two or three in regionals, you know, sent kids to state meet, you know, and, and even up until, you know, almost two years now when I, well, year ago when I left Marble Falls, I mean, you know, I, you know, we had some, had a lot of success, like, you know, the, the, she's, she's probably number five in the country right now in the 800, but I had a freshman that last year in Marble Falls that, you know, um, she was number one, 800 runner in the state of Texas, number three, 400 runner. Um, 
you know, uh, as a freshman and, and, and everything. So everything, you know, really like took off in Marble Falls. You know, a lot of people in the Central Texas area knew about us because of how well those those teams did. And I had a, a guy that I had worked with. Um, I just, you know, found out that, uh, you know, he was starting this like, you know, sports performance place out in Westlake. He approached me about, you know, heading up the track and field portion of it. And um, I agreed. I just felt it was time. You know, I had, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, I felt like I reached my peak as far as being able to move up. I mean, I didn't see mm -hmm. myself be, as a track coach. I didn't see myself being able to be an AD um, just because, you know, it, there's not many track coaches in the state of Texas. That's athletic director. I think there's one. Okay. Right, yeah. And, um, and at that level, especially at the five or six, a level. And, um, I also felt like I would be able to broaden my reach if I did private things. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, uh, I just went ahead and I, I took him up on his offer. And so for this year, I helped him with that program. Um, but as of like, the end of May, my contract was up there and I, and, and we decided that, you know, we were going to separate ways. So right now what I'm doing is just, um, pretty much working on my own and, um, and I'm just kind of seeing where the Lord leads me next. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance for maybe some closer relationships with kids that way. Well, it's, it's not so much the closer relationships. I looked at it more or less from a, um, uh, from an autonomy standpoint, as far as like being able to coach without like having to worry about some of the restrictions, um, you know, uh, which I, I found out that you still have to try to maneuver around the other sports because you're private. And then sometimes you have to maneuver around even the coaches, because if you, if you can't get the coaches to trust you, then they're not going to release the kids if they need help during the season to you. So you know, I, I found out like, you know, it, grass is not always greener on the other side. It's always just what are you willing to to battle? It's like, you know, you just make a choice like, OK, do I want to deal with the private school, the private sector where I'm, you know, having to, you know, get coaches to trust me? Or do I want to deal with the public school where I'm trying to, you know, maneuver around different sports, you know, um, and different things of that nature? Because we might have multi-sport athletes, so on and so forth. You have kids that sometimes they see a lot of success in this, like with track, even when I was in Marble Falls, if kids saw that they were going to be very successful there, then they wouldn't sometimes do other sports. And then you have to, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, maneuver around, you know, those type situations. But, you know, like I said, again, man, it's, 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 uh, it's been a tremendous blessing, all of it. Let me ask you, um, of all people you've coached, is there an athlete or two that just from a pure athletic standpoint that just really stands out in your mind? Well, I mean, I have two. Um, the first one, his name is Cody Schultz. And he, he, he was uh, one of the first kids that like, I really was able to like pour into from not just a coaching standpoint, but just like being a mentor for him. Um, and like I said, again, he came to me as, you know, this little scrawny kid, and you didn't think that when you saw him the very first time that he would end up being as good as he was in high school, man. And, um, 
you know, Cody, like I said, again, he, he holds the record in the hundred and the 400 there in Marble Falls. The crazy thing that happened with him, man, is his senior year, you know, he's running super fast and I take him down to Houston and everybody's talking about Matthew Bowling, right? You know, they were talking, you know, Matthew Bowling set the world on fire this year. I say before Matthew Bowling, you know, Cody didn't kind of get to that level because he got injured. And I don't, I'm not saying he would ever got to Bowling's level, but he ran 10-5 fully automatic, like early on in his senior year, uh, like early on in March, right? And then he pulls his hamstring. And, and that was the first like injury that I had had as a coach. And that almost like bottomed me out, dude. I was ready to like quit coaching. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I, but I, I learned so much from that. And we were able to get him uh, back healthy enough for him to make it to state in the 400 that year and place fifth in the 400 at 85%. He was able to get a, a scholarship to Angelo State where he stayed one year and then he transferred to Texas State where he went on to do great things in the sprints and the long jump there. And uh, he was just one of the most coachable kids once he figured out that he could be good, you know, and even before then, he was very coachable. And um, and, the, and the same as far as me mentoring him, you know, because we, we had to have a couple talks about just, you know, character and integrity and different things of that nature. And he would always hold on to it. He works as a, a police officer for Austin Police Department now. And when he was having a rough time going through the academy, you know, he doesn't call me or text me a lot, but he, he texts me and was like, coach, how, how, how do I make it through this deal? So, again, he, he stands out like big time to me. He's like probably the kid that stands out the most to me as far as from just pure athletic standpoint. Um, the second would be Bailey. And again, she's a she's a sophomore in Marble Falls now. But from a, just a pure talent perspective, I mean, she's probably the most talented kid that I ever coached. Um and it was raw talent that was kind of buried. And, you know, as when we saw when I saw her in middle school, we kind of put the plan, a plan together together for her starting in the seventh grade. It went through eighth grade and then ninth grade. It's like she just blew up and um, she's run some tremendous times as a ninth and a tenth grader. man. So, you know, those are two athletes from an athletic standpoint that really, really stand out. You know, is there one that you've seen that. Uh, God really use you in their life. Yeah. And, and this kid, um, you know, she, if, you know, she was the kid that you never would have thought she would have been a runner. Um, she just didn't ooze athleticism. Just put it like that. And um, her name was Kim Bonnie. And she, uh, so she comes out after her, her comes out at the beginning of her junior year she, you know, ninth and 10th grade, we had her run in the 400 because it was just nothing else she could do, man. You know, she didn't have a whole lot of speed. She was, she was like a 400 and a triple jumper. And I said, okay, the only way I'm going to probably get her faster is I got to try to figure out a way to get her stronger from an endurance standpoint or something, because mm-hmm. she just doesn't have the speed, no matter what we've done as far as speed, it just didn't work. So I got her to come out for cross country. And I said, I'm not going to have you run cross country. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on a 400-meter program, and you'll just come to the cross-country practices. So she comes out, and we're doing a – I always do like this, this a mile time trial to set up my training for cross-country, right? So I just, you know, take some of the 400 runners and say, look, I want you all to do this mile time trial as well. So she does the mile time trial, and she beats everybody. 
even some of my better runners, distance runners. So I'm like, diagum. So I said, Kim, would you mind training with the cross country group? She ends up being all district um, and making it to the regional meet that year. She didn't make it to the state meet. She made it to the regional meet. Then her senior year, they her the team as a whole, she had a group of freshmen that came and helped her along. They won district and they made it all the way to the state meet. Second time in the history of Marble Falls that they had a girls cross country team make it to the state meet. She ran exceptionally well and she got a scholarship to University of Arkansas Little Rock where she's running at right now. And right before she left to go off to school, her dad was diagnosed with some kind of crazy bone cancer. And uh, me and her would pray for her dad. Mm. And this has probably been, she's, she's going to be a, she's going to be a junior in college this year. He's doing a hundred. He's doing extremely. I mean, he's doing what, I mean, he's, he has no issues. Um, he went through all the treatments and everything. So when you say an athlete that God like really like use you to be there for them and, and minister to them in their time of need. I mean, I took her up on her college visit, you know, I grilled the coach, <laughs> you know, and, and all of this stuff, dude, it was like, you know, um, you know, and if you talk to her, she'll tell you, she's like, that's like, she calls me like her second dad, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, um, as far as a kid that like, you know, really like grabbed my heart and, and that my heart goes out to, and I, I think about is as far as like God put me like in that place at that moment for her to make sure that she got where she was, she was supposed to be. That's powerful. Wow. So you've talked a lot about yourself, um, coaching, your faith. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the demands, whether you're coaching at a Marble Falls high school or even the private coaching, how do you balance that with, being a husband and a dad. I mean, you're married, you got four kids. So yeah. how, do you, how do you put all that together? Uh, so the, 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 the great thing about when I was in Marble Falls, again, it was very, it's a smaller community. You have one high school, one middle school and all that stuff. So my kids just became fixtures <laughs> around the school. Um, they were always there, you know, whether it's on the gator with me, whether it's, I'm running practice and they're running around the stadium or they're in the gym. Um, and then the other thing is just a whole lot of prayer. And, and then my wife being very understanding and understanding that, you know, that track and field for me is just not like me just coaching a sport. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I view track and field as ministry. And there, there's a lot I can go to on how God showed me like, a lot of stuff even before I started coaching and I'm trying to figure out like what in the heck does all this mean? And, um, but that's how I approached it, man. So when I, um, when I, right when I started coaching the prayer that I prayed, I said, God, I need you to surround me with mentors that are going to help me be the best coach I can possibly be. And I need you to give me direction on how to be the best coach I can possibly be. And he gave me two passages of scripture. One being Proverbs 16 and three, where it says, commit your plans unto the Lord will commit your actions unto the Lord and your plans will succeed. And then the second scripture he gave me was Colossians 323. Do everything as unto the Lord and not unto men, because it is it is God that I'm trying to please and be approved of. So I always put that out in the forefront. So I knew if I did that, then everything else would fall into place. So 
my wife, she's always approached this as this is Anthony's calling. This is what he was put on this earth to do was to be a mentor to kids through his coaching. So she just fully supports everything that I do. And then my kids, you know, they were always around me and I've done a lot of stuff with FCA. Um, you know, so, you know, they would not just see dad as the track coach. They would see dad, you know, in church, they would see dad trying to walk out his faith. They would see dad trying to help other kids. And at the same time, always including them on, in everything uh, that I did. And one of the bigger things as far as my relationship with my children is that, you know, th- you know, my, my oldest son, he he's 18. He'll be going off to Texas State and it's more academic. He played basketball. You know, and then my my middle two kids, I mean, they're pretty gifted at track and field athletes. Um, so, you know, they'll probably go on to, to run track, but I never pushed sports on them. I never mm-hmm. pr- I never pressured them to where they had to be great at it. Um, and track and field, I try to keep them away from it as much as possible, meaning having them compete while they're really young. I didn't like my, my, my 14 year old. He's extremely gifted. And he really didn't seriously start competing until last year. My daughter didn't really seriously start competing until she was about sixth or seventh grade. Everything else was all, it's, it's always been just fun being with dad at the track, helping him, you know, whatever. And because of that, you know, I believe that it like kind of, um, it just, you know, it strengthened our relationship, which makes me being able to coach other people take time with other people's kids um, and mentor them, it makes it a lot easier and it makes it a lot accept. It, like, it makes it a lot more acceptable in my home because my family doesn't look at this as this is just a job for dad or he's doing this to win championships or trophies. They know that dad does this because he believes that just like track saves his life, that track and field is going to save some other kid's life. It doesn't matter if, if they live you know, in Westlake or if they, if they live in East Austin, you know, kids are kids, kids have kids, kids, problems, family problems, whatever it may be. And sometimes being a coach um, in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing um, or just modeling the correct behavior, um, it could change a kid's life. Well, that's good. Wow. So I don't know. I don't know if I answered that question. Absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, very good. Very good. So I want to ask you some, a question. I think you and I talked about this a little bit uh, when we talked on the phone. Um, kind of the role of sports in culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no secret that um, culture is divided. I'm, I'm not going to get into politics. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of division, whether it's race, socioeconomics, religion, politics, you name it. Mm-hmm. But sports has a unique ability um, to bring – people together tear down those walls and actually i i think sports is one of the few things that that can do that mm-hmm. so talk about that your experience in sports how you've seen seen it maybe it's even in your own life tear down mm-hmm. some walls and kind of bring some unity well i mean i just look at it from um like just my experience in marble falls um I mean, it's no secret, like you said, again, before probably we moved to Marble Falls, I mean, the percentage of black people in Marble Falls is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, and I've had conversations with people about this, 
a lot of times our education on how a group of people react, respond, carry themselves, a lot of the education, especially in small communities, come through media, come through television. Nowadays, it'll come through social media. And unfortunately, I believe in the black community, there's too much of a light shed on negative things. Okay. Instead of positive things or positive people. I mean, they use athletes, so on and so forth, but athletes are not the only people that are out there doing great things in their communities or for their families. So one of the things as far as from a personal perspective, I think the biggest thing that happened to me, like even in Marble Falls, once I started to do what I did and I did it, like I said, again, from a ministry standpoint, Mm -hmm. no one looked at me as coach Torrance, the black coach. Mm. They looked at me as coach Torrance. They looked at my children as those are coach Torrance's kids, you know, and a lot of my athletes, I can give you phone numbers. They're like my children. Like to this day, they, it's, it's, that's coach Torrance. I mean, they know that like, that's, it was that relationship that we had. I mean, we were, you know, they were my family and I was part of their family and I'm like still part of many of their families. I can still call and, you know, like, you know, if, if something's going on, I'll say, okay, like I have parents that I can call them and say, I'm gonna come visit you. Or I, I'm in town, I'm in Marble Falls. I just want to come and say hi. And, you know, and, and you have that type of connection. There's coworkers that I, that I, uh, you know, bonded with over the years in Marble Falls that, you know, anytime I get a chance to check on them or talk to them, I don't see them as, you know, this is, you know, this white person or whatever. They don't look at, I'm just, that's coach Futural. That's coach Gentry. That's, you know, Mike Scarce, who was the grounds crew guy, you know, Miss Tammy, who was, you know, my, the, the, the administrative assistant, Miss Julie, who had my back and made sure that all my stuff was ordered, you know, and then they look at me as, that's Coach Torrance. He got our, he, he gonna have those kids back. He gonna try to do everything he can to make sure that they're taken care of. So, you know, I think that in that community specifically, my time there, those 11 years, I think, especially when you talk about um, my relationship with the people there, it kind of broke down some of those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. If, if just in that moment, in the relationships that I had with, with the people I have, And I think that extends to a lot of the coaching relationships that I have with other coaches, because like, you know, I mean, you met me through Ashley and you see what I'm saying. And then, you know, the coaches that she coached with at at Dripping Springs. And I have a good friend that, you know, he's in Fredericksburg and the the opportunities that I've had to teach um, at TGCA clinics, Texas High School Girls Coaches Association, the opportunities I've had to teach there was because of his recommendation. Like, look, mm. if you want, you, you need to go and get this guy. This is, if you want him, you want somebody teaching this subject, this topic, go and get this guy and he's going to do a great job. So again, it's it, like it removed, like I, I believe sometimes when it's done right, like coach, I mean, a- athletics removes that stigma, you know, and, um, and unfortunately, a lot of times we have to step outside of, you know, the track. We have to step outside of the football field. We have to step outside of the gym. And then we're back into the real world, <laughs> That's back, right. into, back into society where everything is going to view things in black and white, you know, and, and stuff like that, which is, is totally un, unfortunate. Um, right. 
you know, um, but like I said, again, man, the biggest thing that I do is I understand a hundred percent that there's nothing that I can do to change a person's heart. The only person, the only person that can do that is God. So I feel like if I walk, you know, um, like, like, like I've heard it said before, you be his hands and feet. You know, if you can be Christ's hands and feet, um, if you can, uh, try to exude love wherever you go, uh, treat people like you want to be treated, um, you know, operate with integrity, um, then there'll be a lot of things that'll work in your favor that you don't even have to try hard at. That's good. Yeah. That's man. That's, that's huge. And whether, you know, whether you're in athletics or not, I mean, a couple of things I wrote down, just a couple of words I wrote down um, just as you were talking about that was relationships and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, what a powerful reminder that there's nothing that I can do to change someone's heart. You know, a lot of times I think we focus on I'm going to be the one that's going to change them. No, if I just love them and allow God to speak to them and change their heart, that's where real change comes. But I think uh, I think I'm I I know I'm guilty. and I'm sure there's plenty (laughs) of people listening that are guilty of we're going to be the one to change someone's heart because, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to convince them that I'm going to convince them that they're wrong. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to show them that this is unjust or I'm going to show them that this is unfair when, you know, I, I can't remember the address of the scripture, but Paul states, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos waters it, but God will give the increase. So he, bas- he, he was basically talking about like, I planted this church. I'm leaving Apollos here to feed you guys. Okay. To water you to help you grow in, 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 in Christ. But the only way that you're going to truly get the full increase is God is going to have to give that, you know, he's yeah. going to have to be in your heart and, 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 and he's, you know, going to have to give that. So, man, like I said, again, I mean, you know, my faith has played such a tremendous role in the way that I coach. Um, and I give like God a hundred percent of the credit to any level of success that I've had, because like I, I've, I've told people in this whole interview process that I've been going through, you know, and, and trying to land a job over this. I mean, I'm talking about this has been since March. I've been going to interviews and everything. OK, but the number one thing I told them, one reason that I was really considering getting back into high school coaching is because I was re- I was concerned more with the relationship than a transaction. Mm. Because, see, on, on the private level, a lot of times that transaction has to precede anything happening. So if I'm depending on, you know, X amount of kids being able to pay, you know, a house note or provide for my family. Right. The first thing I have to present you with is, oh, this is how much I charge or this is right. what the cost is or, you know, so on and so forth. But. When, when I was working for school, it's like I had all these kids at my disposal. So now my job is just to build this. Let's let's love on them, man. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's give them the best coaching that I can possibly give them and connect with them in the best way possible. And I'm not worried about any transaction because all that's already taken care of. So the thing that I've had to figure out with this private thing is how to still be relationship minded first and then transactional you know what that's down the road you know and 
you know, after leaving the private company that I was working with over these past couple months, um, I've kind of started to figure that part out. And, and mm-hmm. in all actuality, you know, because God, like you said, again, God knows our heart. And I believe he knows that that's my primary focus. Um, everything is just kind of worked out, worked itself out. I like that, though. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can pull from that relationships over transactions, whether you're a coach in the business world or, or no matter what. Um, yeah. I just approach life from that perspective that every person I encounter every day is an opportunity for a relationship, not a, not a transaction. Not, not, not getting something from them. I, I, exactly. I don't, it's, it has to be 100% selfless. You yep. know, you have to be, it, it's, it's like ser- it's, it's servant leadership. Yep. And that's that's the way that I tried to model my coaching in the high school. And a lot of people would try to figure out, like, how does this guy, you're in Marble Falls, like the first district title we won, we only had nine girls score. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had a friend of mine, he coaches over in, in Leander School District. And he, he talked about one of my athletes. And he said, she's the most fierce competitor that I've ever seen. And he and they would ask us questions like, how do y'all get those kids to compete like that? Like I, I, would, I tell people all the time, like I've had groups of kids, like every kid I probably coached in Marble Falls. If I put a brick wall on that track and I told them, I said, our goal is to run through that wall. They would literally line up and be like, let's go. And, 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 and people would say, well, why will they do that for you? And I'm like, they're not doing that for me. They're doing it for themselves, but they know that if I'm going to have them go through that wall, then I'm probably going to go through it before then. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So at yeah, the end of yeah. it, it, it was that relationship that they knew, man. Coach, if I need him, he's going to be there. You know, and he's, I was that guy. I was at the school first. So when my kids showed up for practice at 630, they knew coach was probably been here since 530. Everything right. was always, everything was always prepared. It was always organized. You know, you know, we, we hardly ever like missed the beat. And, 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 those, and, and again, I did that because it was about them. I had to show them this is how you lead by serving. You don't lead by just, you know, yelling and screaming and calling out instructions. You do it by serving. You do it by putting your neck on the line before you, they have mm-hmm. to do it. That's you good know. stuff. Very good. So I'll ask you one last question to kind of wrap this all up. You've talked a okay. lot about, um, you know, your approach to coaching, your approach to athletics, uh, relationships, loving them, but um, and and all that is a great example of being all in. And you know we hear that a lot in athletics. But you know, as a follower of Christ, and I think you're a great example of it. You know, Jesus is very clear that we're to be all in. You know, mm-hmm. deny yourself. But I want to ask, like, in a practical sense, uh, Anthony, on a daily. In your daily walk, what does that look like? I and mean, it looks different for everybody um, daily, uh, practically being all in. So what does that look like for you? Well, you know, this is one thing like, again, if you, you know, I've had people and then even some athletes, they would ask my children. They say, how is your dad at home? And, mm. and my kids would say, just like he is out here on the track. And so there has to be a consistent commitment to, like you said, again, having a level of integrity about yourself. And then the other thing is, is that in a world where, like you said, again, there's so much going on. There's so many opportunities 
to do things like uh, in a way that doesn't exude a lot of integrity, you have to make conscious choices to be different and be willing to stand alone. So, you know, that's like my definition of like, like being, you have to make like conscious choices to say, okay, I'm going to stand on this side, even if I'm the only one standing on this side. Well, that's good. You know, um, I'm going to consistently show this type of character. I'm going to consistently do things this way. I'm going to consistently have this high level of expectations, whether I'm at home, whether I'm on the track, whether I'm, you know, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It's like I'm always, you know, uh, striving uh, for excellence uh, again, because, again, I'm doing this as unto God, not unto men. And you have to always make that conscious choice that, look, I'm going to make these choices that even if I'm the only one doing it this way, if I believe that this is right and God puts it in my heart that this is the right way to do it, then that's what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to stand on that and, and I'm going to go. I'll go down with the ship. So, yeah, that's so good. Speak, I like that. Like, you know, um, but like I said, again, that's that's kind of, you know, how, how I, uh, you know, translate being all in for something is, is making those hard choices that even if you have to go it alone, which the reason I'm doing it, I know I'm not going it alone because I know that the Lord is always with me. Mm -hmm. But from a, from a practical standpoint, from a people standpoint, from, you know, others supporting me and others cheering you on. If I have to be the guy that's over there by himself, then that's what I'm going to do. That's good. Hey, I I, I say this all the time. Almost everybody that I talk to when I'm recording these, I I take a lot of notes and I feel like a lot of times um, what what I'm hearing um, from, from different, people that I interview is, is God using it, you know, in, in my life. And, you know, I just wrote that down. It's consistently making a conscience choice to be different or to stand alone because that's, that's not easy. Um, but it's a great reminder for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem, man. Yeah. Like I said, again, hey. I've, I've, I've enjoyed the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know it, was, it took us a couple weeks or so to to make it happen. And just kind of a little shout out to Ashley. Uh, yeah. Uh, Thank while, you. you know, right before you you mentioned her name, I literally grabbed my phone and sent her a text and said, hey, I'm interviewing Coach Torrance right now. Powerful <laughs> in all caps. So it was good. Okay, man. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. You bet. You bet. Okay. Like I said, at some point, hopefully, we, we, I'll meet you in person or something like that. I don't Absolutely. Know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas and Austin is not too far away. All right. Take care, man. Wow. What a powerful, powerful, powerful story and testimony from Anthony Torrens. I hope you were as encouraged as I. I know I just, from the time we first talked to the time we recorded this episode, there's just so many things that I've taken away from the time I've spent with him. And I hope you just got a glimpse of that. And as I always do, I go over the notes after each episode and just ask God to to speak to me and to reveal to me what he wanted me to get from that. And the first thing that jumps out is I'll never, ever read Psalm 23 with the same eyes again. Just how God used his mom in a difficult pregnancy to recite that over him into his childhood and how Psalm 23 is still a powerful passage in his life today as an adult. 
it, it just really spoke to me. And actually that night after we got done recording, I read it. The next morning I went and read it again and it just transforms um, the way God speaks through that passage today. Other things that really stood out to me that was a, an encouragement is that there, there's nothing that you can do or I can do to change someone's heart. We just got to love people. It's just a reminder that oftentimes we want to be the ones that changes the person. But in reality, it's the Holy Spirit's job to change the heart. It's your job and my job to love them as God has commanded us. Just to be selfless. And about being all in, it's consistent commitment. No matter whether it's at home, work, or play, no matter what area of your life is to be consistent in our commitment. And just to make a conscious choice to be different. And sometimes it means standing alone. That's not easy. But thank you again, Anthony, for that reminder that I and you need to make a conscious choice every day, every moment of every day to do right. And that sometimes we're going to be standing alone, but it's okay. Because truly we're not alone. Because we serve a God that is always with us. So thank you again for listening. I hope and pray that there's something in this episode that challenges you, that convicts you, that encourages you, and also that you would hit the share button and you would share it with a family member or a friend, someone that needs to be encouraged today. If you're not a subscriber of this podcast, I'd ask you whatever podcast platform you're using to listen right now that you would hit the subscribe button. There are 90 previous episodes that I I know will encourage you. And there's many more coming. I'm excited about what God has done through this podcast, but I'm even more excited about what God is going to do. Because I can tell you God is moving through this in the lives of many athletes and coaches telling stories. And that's, that's why we started this. It was just a platform to share stories. Because you have a story, I have a story, and we all need to tell our story. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement. Interact with us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search All In Sports Outreach. You'll find us. Go to our website, allinsportsoutreach.org. Find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, serve, and give. Once again, I personally am extremely grateful for your prayers, your support, and your encouragement. 